And Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, he has also given us the account of Christ's ascension at the end of his gospel account in Luke chapter 24, but we will read it as it's recorded in Acts chapter 1, and we read the first 14 verses. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So far the reading of God's holy, infallible word. May the Lord bless it to us to the message by singing from Psalter 58, another Psalter selection based on a psalm which speaks of the ascension of our Lord Jesus, uh, Psalm 24. You gates lift your heads, the glad summons obey. We love a congregation of our Lord Jesus. Have you ever wondered why the account of Jesus' birth and of his life and of his death and his resurrection and other aspects of his life are so clearly detailed while the ascension is actually recorded in only a few verses. Does this make the ascension of our Lord insignificant? And the preaching of the apostles is largely focused upon the death of the Lord Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And, and while they refer to his ascension on occasion, the greater emphasis is space, placed upon his death and his resurrection. Is the ascension significant for our lives? Does it have any practical value to us? Well, I trust that you've already realized through the singing of these various psalms and also the other aspects of the service that you begin, have begun to see the value of it. We understand the necessity of Christ's humiliation. We know why he's come to earth as a man and we understand why he had to suffer and to die. We know why he was buried in the grave. And just as he came in the world taking our flesh and dying for us, and so it was necessary that he would also be exalted. He was humiliated, but he was also 
exalted and every step of his humiliation was necessary for our salvation but every step of his exaltation was also necessary for our salvation and so we're going to look at the ascension today now we could turn to many different places in the old testament where the ascension of the lord is is prophesied and we've referred to a number of those psalms already or we could turn to other places in the New Testament where the implications of this event are, are, are fleshed out as well. And we have done that a number of years, for a number of years. But this year, we look again at this beautiful synopsis of his ascension as we find it in the passage we read, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, Now when he, as Jesus, has spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Our theme will be the ascension of our Lord Jesus. We'll consider first the disciples' experience, and then secondly, the church's encouragement. We read in our text, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And you notice here that Luke uses what is referred to as the passive voice. Now, some of you have been out of school for many years, so you might well wonder what the passive voice is. Well, there's an active voice where the action is done by the subject. In other words, you know, John kicked the ball, and so John is active in kicking the ball. But there's another way in which one is passive. The ball was kicked by John. That's passive. In other words, the action was, occurred towards someone else. And, and that's the sense of what this verb is here. When Luke uses the passive voice, and it says the Lord Jesus was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And the point of this is, is that the writer wants to draw our attention to the fact that the Lord Jesus here didn't storm the gates of heaven to invade heaven as such, but he was taken up. A cloud received him out of their sight. And we picture our eyes of our Lord Jesus beginning to rise from the earth up and up in a cloud. No, it didn't drift across to block the disciples' view as such. But a cloud came down and received him. You might say picked him up and received him out of their sight. And so that's the sense of which the original speaks of. The cloud came down and received him, the Lord Jesus, out of their sight. And so you can see this cloud, this pillar of cloud coming down from heaven, ready to pick up the Lord Jesus and lifting him up, and up he goes into heaven. And so the cloud didn't move horizontally across the sky and block their view. Rather, the cloud came down vertically from above to pick up the Lord Jesus and to carry him into heaven. Now you might say, well, what is that cloud? Well, if you research this, you find that the pillar of cloud, of course, refers to the presence of God. Just remember the pillar in the wilderness leading the Israelites and so on. The pillar of cloud, a pillar of cloud. And so a cloud often is used to hide the, the glory and the majesty of God. And so it is God, you might say, the Father coming and taking and picking up Christ, surrounding His Son and receiving Him up into glory. The Father receiving His Son into heaven. 
And the cloud was, you might say, a manifestation of the presence of God. And so when we speak of the Lord Jesus being taken up into heaven, it means that He bodily departed from earth and He came into the presence of His Father and He was enthroned as the divine King of heaven and earth. And He rules over the whole world and over the whole universe. He sits at God's right hand. This was His exaltation. And so in the ascension, the Son of God in the flesh, the incarnate second person of the Trinity, was raised visibly into heaven. The disciples, they saw it. They saw it happen before their eyes. And suddenly, He was gone. This is the way that He was to depart from the earth. And this was in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy the, from the psalm, for instance, which our brother Nico spoke of at the beginning. We focused on these words just a few years ago. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, for the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And so Jesus Christ, He ascended into heaven to reign. Now the disciples were going to have every reason to doubt that truth in their lifetimes. They were going to experience persecution. The world doesn't look like a place where the Lord Jesus is reigning. And so the Father, in numerous ways, He, he testifies to them of the reality that the Son of God is reigning in heaven. And that He's ascended into heaven as a king, as the steps of the platform to His enthronement. And he's appointed king, he's anointed king, and he reigns over heaven and over earth. And this is the, the implication of Christ's ascension into heaven. You see, when he completed his work on earth in his humiliation, it was proper and appropriate that he would be taken up into heaven to be the reigning king. For he was the one who had conquered the enemy. He had conquered Satan and he conquered sin and death. And so he was the reigning king. And having accomplished the victory, he was received up into heaven with joy. And he came into the presence of God and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's welcomed there. And he's given all power and all authority. And that's what's happening here. And this is already, as we read in our text, a foreshadowing of, of what was to come. Because the angels, of course, the two men who stood by them in white apparel, they said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. The Lord Jesus, as the ascended king, he was the one who would come in like manner. And when he comes from heaven to earth, he will come not in his humiliation, but he will come in his exaltation. And this reminds us of the way in which the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. The angels refer to the manner in which he does. In Luke's account, we, are re we read very specifically that the Lord Jesus, as he ascended, he, he blessed his disciples. And he ascended into heaven blessing them. And it reminds us of the, the blessing that we receive 
At the end of the service, as we, as we reflect upon the, the blessing in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. This was the blessing of the high priest, wasn't it? And as he would turn from the congregation to the congregation, from the altar, his hands would be full of blood. And he would hold his hands out covered in blood, the blood of atonement. And he would give this number six blessing to the people. And the symbolism is so obvious here that it's a symbolism of the blessing of God which has come on the basis of the shed blood that was necessary for the atonement of our sins. But then as we think of the Lord Jesus ascending up into heaven and his hands extended and the scars of the nails in the palms of his hands. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord will be with you. So there's something very memorable here in this picture, isn't there? As the Lord Jesus ascends into heaven, he ascends blessing his disciples, and it means he will also come again blessing his disciples. And this all points to the fact that the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ is meant for our encouragement. The ascension is meant for our encouragement, isn't it? And there's a lot of encouragement to receive from the ascension of our Lord Jesus. There's, some of them are in the catechism, which we have read just a few moments ago when it said, what advantage is it to you that Christ has ascended into heaven? But there's even more than our catechism mentions. In fact, I'll come with five encouragements from the ascension for you. The first is Jesus' ascension confirms the all-sufficiency and completeness of the work of Christ for us while he was on earth. And that's pictured also in his blessing as the, as the nail prints in his hands are visible to his disciples and they see his hands. They would be reminded that he had paid the price for their sins by being sacrificed on the cross for them. That he had satisfied the wrath of God. He had satisfied the justice of God for them. And so when Christ was ascending into heaven, it was, you might say, a stamp of approval of the Father upon the work of Christ. Just as his resurrection was a confirmation that the payment had been made, now his ascension was further confirmation that not only was the payment made, but the Father delighted in his Son and he took pleasure in him and longed to have him with him. And so it confirms that payment for our sins is perfectly completed and that it satisfies the divine justice of God. And that's an encouragement, isn't it? To those of us who are struggling with our sin. And in a sense, that should be an encouragement to everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ because a Christian is always one who's struggling with sin. And isn't it wonderful then to know that the sacrifice of Christ is all-sufficient? Or maybe you're struggling with the assurance of faith. And you're one of those Christians who, who sees your sin so very clearly. And sometimes you, you, there's, they're so prominent before you that, that you lose sight of the Savior. And you begin to doubt that His grace is sufficient for you. And you might acknowledge, I understand how the payment of Christ can cover the sins of others, but, but He doesn't know my heart. 
But then you look at the ascension and you realize that the Lord Jesus, in his active and passive obedience, had made perfect payment for our sin. His work was perfect. And our salvation is not based on our work, but on his. And that's a comfort to us. But secondly, and our catechism mentions this, Jesus' ascension into heaven enables him to send his Holy Spirit to minister to us in our great need. You know, we might think that we would be better off to have the Lord Jesus here with us. That he would be preaching to you and that he would be with us here. But the Lord Jesus says, it is more profitable to you that I go to be with my Father, that I might send my Spirit to you. You see, this is the promise of the Lord Jesus, that he would pour out his Spirit upon the church. He even told his disciples that they shall receive power when the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. You see, without the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples would not have been able to do their work. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we would be ineffective witnesses of the Lord Jesus. And even though they had been eyewitnesses of the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, their words would have been dead, except they were anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so the ascension of the Lord Jesus is a comfort to us. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the power of the Spirit to fight and to conquer sin. We have a divine presence with us, the Spirit of God. And while He is physically absent from us, and as the Catechism so beautifully says to us, He is, he is never absent from us in spirit. And the Spirit of God is directing and leading and guiding us in our lives, giving us insight and understanding of the Scriptures. And this has come because of Christ's ascension into heaven. The third thing, the ascension confirms to us that our Lord Jesus, and we've already alluded to this, but he's a reigning king in heaven. We look around at this crazy world and we wonder. We hear of the torture of God's people in different parts of the world. You hear of antagonism against the Christian church. You hear of a deranged gunman going and, and killing a number of children in, in a school. And you hear of wars and rumors of wars and you hear of the, the constant oppression in, in the Ukraine and you hear of crime and, and murder and oppression and you hear of people who are suffering and, and, and you might wonder, is Christ really reigning in heaven? It doesn't look like a place where he's reigning. And then you look at his ascension and you realize that the Son of God is seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. The right hand of God Almighty. And that fact is a down payment of the reality of, of the conquering king's empire. That he one day he will manifest his glory. That all men shall see and every knee shall bow, Paul tells us, and every, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord and King of all. See, when we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we belong to him. 
And we are servants of him, the almighty God. And and yes, we are on the side of the, the reigning and ruling king. And he is omnipotent and he is omniscient. And he knows all things and he uses all things for his glory and for the, for the well-being of his people. And we can be assured of that by faith in him that all things will work together for good because he sits upon the throne. How senseless this world would be if we did not have our Savior in heaven. How difficult it would be to understand the events of the world and we have a hard time understanding some of them but, but we know that Jesus Christ is reigning at the right hand of the Father. And that he is, a, he is one who is filled with compassion and, and mercy and, and love towards his people. And that his mercy is endless. And that his compassions are, are, are never absent. And he is one who is leading and directing all things for, for the glory of God and for the well-being of his people. And, and knowing him, we can we can rest confidently in him that he will lead all things together for good but fourthly and the catechism mentions this one too jesus ascension confirms that all of god's people will follow our lord jesus bodily into heaven and that's a comfort as we live in weak and frail and broken bodies and, and, and we struggle along in life, don't we? We look at the physical deformities we may have, at the disease which is eating away at our flesh. And maybe one of your loved ones is physically struggling and, and is nearing even to death. And, and you might think that it doesn't look like the Lord Jesus is reigning. My, my body is evidence that I live in a, in a world that's falling apart and And you look at the ascension and you think of the Lord Jesus sitting on the throne of glory and he sits there in his humanity. He sits there as one who has taken our nature, as having our flesh. And we look at our deteriorating flesh and we realize that it's going to be transformed. And we can confess with Job, I shall see my Redeemer with these eyes. And the ascension holds that comfort for us, doesn't it? Our flesh and blood is in heaven. His body is in heaven as a pledge that he will take us up to himself to be with him. And that's why Paul says, when our earthly house is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He frees us not only from the penalty of sin, but from all of its consequences. And he redeems us fully. We are new creatures when we believe in him. Eternally new creatures. But fifthly, Jesus' ascension draws our hearts away from earthly things and causes us to desire heavenly things. You see, when we realize the the greatness of the ascension of our Lord Jesus, our hearts and our minds will be turned to Him, will be drawn to Him. And as Paul says, our conversation, our life is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you're a citizen of heaven, then you are a stranger here below and your thoughts and your desires and your longings are towards heaven, towards heavenly things. And it means you're drawn away from the things of this earth 
And you are loosed from the things of this earth to pursue those heavenly glories. For we have here no continuing city, but we seek one which is to come. For the Lord Jesus is there. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And when Jesus is your life, then you love those who seek heaven. You love to be with the fellow citizens of heaven. You love to worship with the fellow citizens of heaven. Your delight is not found in the things of the earth, but your delight is found in the things of heaven. And your delight is to meet with the people of God in the worship of God because that gets you the closest to the glory of heaven. But maybe some of you have a, are more concerned about this world because your eyes are not fixed on the ascended Savior, but your eyes are carefully following the latest trends. Your thoughts are continually thinking maybe of the score of last night's hockey game, or your thoughts are only thinking of the next entertainment you hope to pursue or the next pleasure you hope to experience. And, and when you speak with the people of God, you, you can't converse with them. They are strangers to you. They speak another language which you do not understand. They speak of the world in a, in a way which baffles you. Well, John says when you're like the world, you speak like the world and the world hears you. Are you one who partakes in the benefits of Christ's ascension? If you have no reason to think that you are partaker of these benefits then you are one of the most unhappy people ever. Because you don't have an advocate in heaven's courts. And so the Lord Jesus calls us to seek first the kingdom of God and, and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, the ascension calls us to look to the Savior. Does the ascension create a longing in your heart for heaven? Ascension of our Lord Jesus is really the inauguration of this new kingdom, this expanding kingdom, this glorious kingdom which is to come. And we see the beginning of it in, in the book of Acts as, as the Spirit is poured out in, in Acts chapter 2 and the apostles begin to preach and, and thousands upon thousands of people are converted. They come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And since then, the gospel has gone out from Jerusalem to Samaria and is even going to the ends of the earth. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of that seed we spoke of a couple of weeks ago that is sown into the earth and from it springs forth life and from it springs forth more fruit. The Lord Jesus was the first fruits. But it speaks of the fruit which is to come. And so the ascension of our Lord Jesus is a, is a guarantee to us of the blessings which are to come in eternity. And Paul speaks of the fact that every Christian believer has already, in that sense, been raised with Christ and has seated with Him at the right hand of the Father. In Ephesians 2, we read this, God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, here pointing to the future, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. You see, beloved, the truth is unfolded that those who are joined to the Lord Jesus in faith, that in principle we have already ascended with Him in heaven. That's what the ascension means. Believing in the Lord Jesus means that we are inseparably united to Him in all His work. And that's why we can pray, as Paul does at the end of Corinthians, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.